Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. This is episode 245, Building Up Relational Capital. Relational capital is not a phrase that you hear every day, more than likely. I guess it would depend on your type of business. I just had the phrase in my mind because where we are in the story of the reign of young King Solomon in Israel, we're only going over two verses today. Now, of course, we're going to have a little background information, and so we'll have more than two verses. But there was something that just struck me. Now, I've read through this passage multiple times, but this time I was struck by the importance of relational capital. So when I look up that phrase on Google, which where, where else would you look up a phrase in this day and time, I see the business applications over and over and over again, talking about building relational capital with your customers, with your employees, and I totally agree with that. So I was just having this conversation earlier this week about the importance. I don't think I use the phrase relational capital, but I've been doing work in healthcare now for about 20 years. And relational capital is a real thing. And it is a real thing that you need to be intentional about. So I'm just going to use the industry that I'm in as an example piece. So I work in the hospice industry. And whether we're going into people's homes or whether we're going into facilities, how you treat the patients, obviously, but how you treat the caregivers can be absolutely one of the most important parts to the caregiving process. Number one, it's just the right thing to do. Like, that's an obvious one. If you are a Christ follower, you should be treating everyone with respect. Not a question about that. But number two, if you do a good job in, day in, day out, and you are shown to be a person of integrity, and you build relationships with the people in the facility or in the home, then if something comes up that is questioned, you are more likely to get the benefit of the doubt. So I'll give you some examples from, some from quite a few years ago. I walked into a facility where my co-workers at the time, definitely one of them, had gotten an F- minus on building relational capital. It was the craziest interaction. So it was a facility that I had only been in, I don't even know if I'd been in there two or three times in all those years. I walked in that day just to do a one-off visit trying to be helpful I stopped by the nurse's desk, which is just standard procedure. And I told him who I was, and, and I started the conversation, and I got bombarded by multiple people. Like It was like 
free target and they're just aiming at me over and over again and it wasn't personal to me it was the organization and what it came down to i mean they were saying things that i knew were not true at least one of the allegations i knew beyond a shadow of a doubt because there was documentation to prove that that wasn't true but what would happen is that people would come in to see patients whoever in the world that those patients would be at that time because this was a rotational kind of situation whoever they would be but they wouldn't check in at the nurse's desk or maybe they went at a totally different shift than the day people at least one of them i think that had something to do with it but we had zero relational capital at that place and as a result they were ticked it wasn't we were doing anything wrong the patient was doing well it was the fact that they felt as though no one was coming to see the patient and the rare person that did come in they didn't talk with the nurses they didn't get report they didn't give report like i just i left the place with my head spinning so i've probably said on this podcast before if not well here goes i am an introvert's introvert like absolutely positively now we do know that being an introvert does not mean that you can't be a public person being an introvert versus an extrovert means that you get your fuel from being by yourself and then you can go do what you need to in public but public's not your absolute favorite thing whereas an extrovert you get your mojo from being out in public that's where you get that juice that causes you to be able to handle the rare times that you're by yourself because you don't care for being by yourself so i'm not going to be the most outgoing person that's ever going to go into a facility but there's just certain things that are just right like you go in and you build relationships you find out how things are going so i was in a totally different location a few years later and with a totally different group of people and i walked into a nursing home uh, one that i've only been in once in my life and i walked in and i tried to check in with everybody along my little route including talking to the nurse's desk and they were so confused by me stopping and talking to them and i'm just thinking in the back of my mind like how in the world is this confusing and so part of what happens when when i'm a chaplain i'm a singing chaplain now that doesn't mean i sing to everybody because never everybody that fits in with their plan of care but quite a few people that really is something that they would appreciate so i in this particular case i called and talked to the caregiver who was at work because it was during the day the family caregiver which again this is relational capital where people are calling ahead of time and talking to the family caregiver even though somebody's in a facility because that family caregiver loves that person and or they're the poa and they're the one making decisions and if you just go into the facility and even if you have conversations with them that doesn't mean that you're building relationships with the others so call the caregiver 
ask what their faith was, ask if there were any favorite songs. Like, I had done my homework, and I had told the caregiver, I won't call you after the visit unless there's something specific to report. And they were totally fine with that. They were at work. But I went to that desk, and, and I came out after the visit, and they're just looking at me. They were very, very nice. But they were just looking at me, and, like, they could hear me singing because my little lady's room was just around the corner. And they were just blown away. And you have to guess what my brain is thinking. What in the world is the rest of the staff doing? Now, obviously, they're not all going to sing to the patients, but, like, are they not stopping at the desk? Are they not talking to these people? Are they not giving report, getting report? It just, uh, it's to me, it's a no-brainer. I can think of another situation where there was a facility and there was a question regarding something, and it was a big question. It was one of those stop-the-presses kind of questions. And the problem, in my opinion, the main problem was not the question, even though that was important. It was the fact that the person who should have been developing relationships and building relational capital and therefore have been viewed as a person of integrity and that would have received the benefit of the doubt, instead, they had no relational capital built, and it was an immediate questioning. And that's how life is. So this is not just about business, even though in business it definitely is important, and especially in healthcare. Like, I just have to say that. There's no doubt that in healthcare, no matter what your type of healthcare is, you need to be building relational capital, not as a manipulation, but number one, it's just best practice. Number two, you never know when a question is going to come up. And you can't anticipate all of them, but you if you've built goodwill with a facility or inside a patient's home, like it matters a lot as to how things are going to be handled for the majority of people. Now, some people question everybody, everything, in all ways. But you're still less likely to get into sticky situations if you have shown yourself. You know, I can think of families over the years where whichever company that I was working with had laid a very solid foundation. And maybe there was a miscue one day that somebody in the family was ticked off about and like that happens that that just does but if you've built a tremendous amount of goodwill i've seen families over the years who even though i knew that there was at least one thing that wasn't done to 100 percent family satisfaction the family talked to me about what they did like like, they just chose to look at the good. All that to say, our weekly assignment feature is, in which relationship do you need to build more relational capital? Because this happens in personal relationships as well. You know, I think about the burnt bridges that 
some of us have, probably all of us have some burnt bridges, whether we intentionally burnt them or, well, there was a firestorm that was going behind us. But there's so many relationships that truly would be able to be healed and maybe even become stronger if there had been good relational capital laid in previous interactions. And that's what we see today in our story of King Solomon. So King Solomon, setting this up a little bit, so King David was lying kind of on his hospice bed. Not word hospice, not in the Bible, I promise, but he was he was really sick, and everybody knew that his time was limited. And during that time, his oldest remaining son was plotting, and he w- he knew what everybody knew. Everybody knew that the word had come through the family and probably through the entire kingdom that when David died, Solomon, the son of Bathsheba and David, was going to be named the next king of Israel. But Adonijah, he knew that his dad wasn't paying attention because his dad had never paid attention, and that is biblical. You can go back and look at the scripture, 1 Kings 1. You can go back and look and see. So Adonijah just decided he was just going to take things over. Even before David was dead, he was just going to, it says, make himself king. And we had a podcast on that particular phrase. What were you going to make yourself? And with him, he managed to get some of the most influential people in all of David's kingdom to be on his side. Joab we will talk about next week. I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth when it comes to Joab, because if you've listened to the podcast over the last little bit, you know Joab is not my favorite person at all. I just think Joab was out for Joab's benefit, business, whatever it may be. But another person that Adonijah had managed to get on his side was Abiathar the priest. And this is really, really important. Obviously, it's really, really important for setting the stage because Joab was the leading military person in the kingdom of Israel. So Adonijah having him on his side, the benefit is obvious. And then the spiritual side, even if Adonijah did not care anything about the God of Israel, which it doesn't appear that he did, having Abiathar the priest, that was another big yes yeah this is this is blessed by god which it was not and so he had these men that were going to be a part of his kingdom that he was going to establish and thankfully nathan stepped in then bathsheba stepped in and solomon was named king david dies and solomon is left to handle so many things that david did not take care of We talked last week about Adonijah, and Adonijah, after Solomon had already shown him mercy and had given him one more chance to straighten up, Adonijah did not. He went to Bathsheba, tried to get her to talk to Solomon, which she did. 
to allow him to marry Abishag, who was the beautiful young lady who was the attendant for David in his last days. And Solomon's like, nope, I gave you one chance, and it's done. And so he tells Benaiah, who we've talked about before, he's the one who chased the lion into a pit on a snowy day, to kill him uh, because he had already given him another chance. This week, we talk about Abiathar and how Solomon handled him. And next week, we talk about Joab. Abiathar, just two short verses in this particular section. But they're very important. So 1 Kings 2, 26-27. Then the king said to Abiathar the priest, Go back to your home of Anathoth. You deserve to die. But I will not kill you now. I mean, listen to the because. Because you carry the ark of the sovereign Lord for David, my father, and you shared all his hardships. Verse 27. So Solomon deposed Abiathar from his position as priest of the Lord, thereby fulfilling the prophecy the Lord had given at Shiloh concerning the descendants of Eli. Now, I didn't go back and research that part because that's not the main focus. But I did look up exactly what Solomon was referring to when he was talking about carrying the Ark of the Sovereign Lord. So many of you will remember that when David was named King of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God with the people, had not been in Israel for quite some time. And David initially tries to bring it into Jerusalem, and he does a stinky job of it. He doesn't plan. He It's haphazard, and you do not handle holy things in a haphazard manner. And so the second time, he's like, we're going to do this right. And so you go to First Chronicles 15, it's 11 through 15, and it says, Then David summoned the priest, Zadok and Abiathar, and these Levite leaders, Uriel, Asiai, Joel, Shimei, Eliel, Aminadab, uh, I'm not really good with those crazy names. Uh, he said to them, You are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burned or burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the Ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. Then the Levites carried the Ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. So that's the first part of carrying the Ark of the Sovereign Lord for David. The second part, for me, is the one that kind of has dual role. It shows not only that Abiathar was handling the presence of God correctly, but that he was sharing in David's hardships. So that first time was a time of celebration. Like David had been named king. This is the one where he dances almost naked out in the road, dancing before the Lord. And his wife at the time, Michael, um, Saul's daughter, was not happy with her husband uh, out there doing that. But it was a time of celebration. But then we have another time when the ark was carried by Abiathar. And this was a time that was 
very similar to our old little Adonijah story we just talked about. And that was when Absalom, David's other son, with the big A at the beginning of his name, tried to take over the kingdom. And David mournfully left Jerusalem. And so in 2 Samuel 15, 24 and 29, it says, Zadok and all of the Levites also came along carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. So this was the mournful procession out of Jerusalem, David not knowing if he was going to ever get to come back. And 29, so Zadok and Abiathar took the Ark of God back to the city and stayed there. Because that was what David had told them to do. And they processed him out, and then they stayed with the Ark. And we don't know of all the other times that Abiathar was there to share David's hardships, but obviously Solomon knew. And as a result, that's what saved Abiathar's life. Abiathar could easily have had the same fate as Adonijah and our buddy Joab from next week, but Solomon saw that, yes, he made a bad choice and yes he sided with the wrong son and he sided against David he sided against God's plans for Israel Israel but Solomon gave him credit for the relational capital that he had built with David over the years it saved his life he lost his position understandably so because Solomon couldn't trust him but that relational capital saved his life. And it caused me just now to begin to think about people. One particular person off the top of my head that even though the relationship is not where it used to be in any way, shape, or form, they built up a lot of relational capital in my heart. And I might ought to honor that more than I have. So this podcast may or may not have affected you. But I do believe that I've just spoken to myself. So I'm thankful for the lesson of Solomon and Abiathar. Because I need to do a better job at least in one particular case, of honoring relational capital. I can think of times where there's been misunderstandings with different people in my life. And that relational capital has caused me to grant them mercy because I knew their heart and I knew that this was a bad day or, or whatever it was. And the number of times that the relational capital that I had laid allowed me to receive mercy as a result. Because I've had days where I needed mercy. Because I can be cranky. I can be oblivious sometimes because I'm so focused on tasks that I miss people. It's part of my personality. I'm very much aware of it. But I don't always make the best choices. 
I don't always invest in others as I should because it doesn't come as easily to me or naturally, I guess is the best way to put it. But it's part of life. And we need to, no matter who you are, no matter what your personality is, if you want healthy functioning relationships, you need to be intentional about building up relational capital. Let's learn from Abiathar's example, at least in the fact that he had been by David in the hardships. And be intentional this week. Ask the Lord, where is it you need to be more intentional about building up relational capital? It may be in a business sense. It may be with coworkers. It may be a very personal relationship. But looking at that and also being reminded of where you might need to give an extra measure of mercy or grace. So mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting above and beyond what you deserve in a good way. Uh, sometimes God's riches at Christ's expense is how grace is viewed. But it's that, that beautiful, I didn't earn this, but I got it anyway philosophy and maybe there's someone you need to give an extra measure of either mercy grace or both this week so thank you so very much for tuning in uh, i've really enjoyed this one especially i mean this is 245 episodes and some of them i've gotten more excited about than others and this one this one i really like I think it may be because God pricked my heart in the process, and for that I am grateful. Remember, this podcast is free for you to listen to on all the major platforms, and it's free for you to share. I would love for you to share and go in and give a review. I'm not going to tell you how many stars to give it. That's totally up to you, but those reviews do matter because it helps the podcast platforms to decide what to recommend to others. If you think that this weekly dive into God's Word is benefiting you, then you might want to say something because it could help others as they walk through their journey. And we've got information down below, the different resources, Facebook group, uh, Instagram link, Twitter link. All of that good stuff. You can email me questions or comments or whatever it may be at encouragingothersinlovingjesus at gmail.com. And just remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day. Mm -hmm.